Welcome, and thank you for listening to Women Leadership Nation's Breaking Barriers podcast. Are you feeling stuck in your career? Are you looking for more inspiration? Well, head on over to womenleadershipnation.com and sign up for our mailing list. You will receive exclusive content, updates, and new podcast episodes that will help you break barriers in both your personal and professional life. Our guest today is a caring thought leader who knows and understands the struggles of working in a male-dominated industry. She has worked in many areas of the police department, including uniform, criminal investigation, recruiting, quality assurance and policy, and planning. She has a passion for the mental health and well-being of her fellow officers and feels that realizing and finding your passion is like getting paid for something you love to do. She shares how having the confidence to share her vision and voice her opinion changed the trajectory of her career. Please welcome Sergeant Beth Milliard to the show. Keep listening as she reveals how she paved her own path on her journey to becoming a sergeant at York Regional Police. And now introducing your host, co-founder and president of Women Leadership Nation, Jennifer Latticer. Breaking Barriers podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. What was it that you wanted to be when you were younger? Well, it's very interesting. Um, I actually had no desire, no intentions of ever becoming a police officer. Um, My dad is a police officer and it was never talked about. Well, I guess I'm considered middle age, but it was never talked about when I was a kid, like this could be a career opportunity for you. Um, But it's funny because I have these conversations with my mom and she said, she showed me something. It was like JK or grade one. I actually drew a police officer and said, I want to be a police lady. (laughs) And then I did this kind of, it was in uh, grade school. You do some kind of questionnaire of, I guess it just looks at you know, your different personalities and traits and what kind of uh, career you would be set up for. And it actually said I would be a psychologist. Oh, okay. So yeah, so it's interesting back then, I never focused on policing, but I probably, you know, the whole helping other people and um, it just kind of led me to the, to this career. So that's amazing. And having read, we'll get to your dissertation in a little bit, because that's so impressive. Oh, thank you. I'm going on the same journey as you, but I'm at the very early stages, so oh. I can definitely learn from you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I have lots of advice for people, and I actually have people reaching out to me saying, you know, what was your PhD journey like, and, you know, what can you offer? So, yeah. So tell me a little bit about your journey then. So, you know, what what did you study, and what it, what kind of led to what you're doing today? Because I think a lot of people... Um, like you have, uh, and everybody that I've interviewed so far has one idea, and then it kind of shifts as they as they grow and as they learn what else exists out there. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, just really short, my intention of going to university was law based. Um, I always had a thing for law, and hopefully, but it's funny because people would say okay, you want to go to law school, what eventually law you want to do? And I always said I wanted to be a crown attorney or a prosecutor. I like the criminal law stuff. So 
that's kind of led me to university to do the law. And uh, it just, it really didn't work out because I went to university and it was more social time for me than. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're not alone there. (laughs) Exactly, right? And I was four hours away from home. I lived in residence. Like it it was awesome. And um, I always said I left with a BA in political science and a certificate in criminology, which I loved. But when I left university, I said at some point I would like to get my master's degree and just the continuing education. So anyway, so I did some traveling and how really I got onto the policing is when I got back to school, back from school, back from traveling. um, I actually volunteered with the police. Okay. uh, So I did victim services uh with north north simcoe victim services here where i live which was amazing like the training was awesome uh so we would get called out um you know the police would actually call us out if there was some kind Mm. of incident where we would help a family Uh, right so i really enjoyed that and then someone mentioned well why don't you try the auxiliary and i'm like sure um i joined it and honestly my first ride along i was like okay where do i sign up i loved it so when anytime someone says to me i'm thinking of a career in law enforcement my first kind of piece of advice is get out there and do the ride-alongs because i think people are really have a misconception of what policing really is mm-hmm. um, so i say get out in the car and try to get as many ride-alongs as you can do so really it just took off from there That's amazing. I think there's two really key points there. I think for anybody, especially, uh, you know, young people getting into a career, you know, you, it's sometimes it's overwhelming to uh, think that they can apply for certain positions. But like you said, you can always get into uh, volunteering. That's how I got my first job as well in terms of, you know, getting in there and understanding if you want it. And then also it sounds like you had this like spark and passion. And I think you followed that energy, which is amazing. Yeah. And you just kind of fell in love with it. I think, would you say you have to have that to be successful in your career? Uh, I think so. Absolutely. And that really, we'll get into that later, but my passion for mental health and all that Mm -hmm. actually kind of paved my career, I guess, avenue that I ended up taking because my goal of becoming a police officer was the investigative route. I wanted to work with sex assault victims um, and, you know, go that kind of route. And it, my career took a totally different path. So, yeah. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. How did, how did, that path change for you? So uh, it's interesting because I like your questions about, you know, the journey and how it ended up. So it was very easy for me to get on. Um, and what I say is easy. And I tell people it was, it was luck because they police services in Ontario run uh, recruiting sessions, obviously throughout the year, but there's different times when the, you go to Ontario police college So I applied, I think, within a month of them having to put a class together. So my uh, application was fast-tracked and um, only two females, you know, me being one. So I always say people to to people, you know, that my poor husband took him five years to get on where Mm -hmm. it took like two weeks. Yeah. Oh, and you know, he's a, he, he's an amazing uh, officer, but I said, so I think it was luck for me. 
got on very easy. But once I got into policing, um, I'm not going to lie, it's hard. Like it's hard being a female because um, you are in a male dominated profession. Um, And then especially if you aspire to have kids and a family down the road, and that puts your career back many years. Yeah. And that's what I found. I did three years on the road and they basically said, you will not get into an investigative spot. Um, Like you you have to get in this pecking order and there's like six or seven people ahead of you to get investigative training. So I actually left after getting my first three years in because you have to do three years on the road. And I think people have a misconception that, you know, I'm going to do one year and then I'm going to go into homicide. Mm-hmm. You actually have to do three years on the road to become a first class constable. And then you have the options of applying. So after my three years, I actually applied to a position um, dealing with the administrative side of policing. So policies, procedures, internal audits. Um, mm-hmm. And everyone's like, you know, you're... I can't believe you're going to go do that. But it actually gave me a real eye opener. And because my passion for law, I loved it. So any legislation that came out, I'd be writing the chief's order. And I got to meet a lot of key people in the organization. Like I fell under the chief's office. Yeah. So I think that's very strategic, actually. Yeah. And back then I was doing it more for, you know, I want to change and I want to learn. But actually, when I tell people it, it, actually served me very well in my career and going forward because I've had to write a lot of business cases, proposals, procedures. So it's really, yeah, it's really helped me. So I did that for four years. And within that four years, I had my son. Mm -hmm. And then I, again, so we had this thing at York Regional Police where they would pay 80% of continuing education. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So this is where I got my master's degree. Um, and the title of my major research paper was Project Safeguard. Project Safeguard was the um, title of my master's paper. Uh, and in short, it was modeled after the FBI uh, safeguard where <clears throat> um, I looked at the psychological stressors of officers conducting internet child exploitation. Oh, wow. Investigations, yeah. right? So we had two officers that leave that unit who were really, really good officers, but leaving that unit with uh, PTSD. Yeah, I can imagine. Right. Like, I can't even watch the news for that long and exactly. it, it impacts you. I couldn't imagine. And the helplessness of feeling like they're doing a lot, but they can't, you can never do, you know what I mean? Like just, it's so overwhelming to, yeah. to really tackle that problem. Absolutely. So what I did is I went in and I interviewed everyone. So the unit was started in 2000. I interviewed everyone that was in that unit from 2000 to 2010. Um, So a couple of key things came out of that. First of all, how the work affected them and it wasn't good. Mm -hmm. Uh, And two, that's where two, I got on about peer support. Like these people knew me as a police officer. I think I had seven years on the job at this time, knew me as a police officer, um, but they literally opened up to me. It was like, uh, I was doing a, <laughs> like a psychological, uh, like, you know, it just needed to come out. Right. So exactly. was, was the environment such that like, not intentionally, but was the environment such that nobody really talked about it that much at that point? Absolutely. And it's interesting. Cause I tell people this today, what they were telling me, they told me everything physical, like, 
Uh, since being in the unit, I have headaches, I have stomach issues, I have back issues because I sit and catalog images for 10 hours. Nobody knew uh, the mental health part of it. So right. really, um, yeah, they had those physical issues, but no one ever talked about the mental health part of it, which mm-hmm. later comes out when we bring in mental health training and that really, um, we don't really know our own mental health, which is also a problem or where we fall in the continuum and, and uh, what we're supposed to do to get back. So from that, that was, I think, a huge eye opener. So I did up the report and uh, gave it to our higher ups and they actually implemented it. So in short, what it is, is we want to get into ICE. Um, now it's expanded to a couple, well, I think we're up to like 15 units now. Uh, you go and sit down with a psychologist and you do like assessments and you sit down with a psychologist. And I always tell people, it's not to wean you out, but it's to ensure that we have your best interest and mm-hmm. we are putting you in there when you're in a good place in your life. Oh, and, absolutely. Right. Cause we don't want to further, you know, even though this person's a great police officer, uh, the stuff that they're seeing and the, the, the main uh, thing I got out of it was they don't get a break. Mm. Uh, there's another computer and another computer and another computer and the other thing is they're watching victims grow up online being sexually and physically abused and don't know where they are and Mm. can't help them so there's stuff like that there's the whole moral injury it goes to court they find out it's um you know the the person they arrested is related to the person and then they get a slap on the wrist so there's all these things that kind of came out as moral injury that no one really looked at. So. And then they go home and they're expected to be normal. But then yeah. I could only imagine the fear that they have for their children then and then everybody that they know, like just knowing what's out there. I think a lot of us have no clue right. to the breadth of what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of people mentioned um, being hypervigilant. Like they said, we don't, uh, if our kids go to the mall, we're there. And we don't let our kids sleep over at anyone's house. Yeah. That whole hypervigilance and not knowing who to trust. And yeah. In your career, though, you must have felt um, good in the fact that you had identified this need and were able to contribute towards it. Did that fuel even more passion for you to to kind of take it to that next level and decide to go for a Ph.D.? (laughs) Absolutely. So really out of that is uh, they implemented safeguard, which was amazing. Uh, I went off on mat leave and I had my second child. Um, And while I was on mat leave, um, I was actually called by the Ontario Ombudsman. So they were doing an investigation on um, PTSD and police services. And uh, I guess so many people have come forward about how police services have treated officers that have come forward with mental health issues. Right. So in short, somebody got a hold of my master's and one of the key takeaways in my master's was that we have no provincial standards. So uh, police services in Ontario are governed by what were called adequacy standards. Um, so for example, we have, we have a homicide or there's a homicide in a smaller town up north there's certain steps that the chief and the police service has to do. Um, if they don't have the resources, then they, you know, sign an MOU with OPP or a bigger service to ensure um, like everybody's getting the same right. service. Right. 
So my big thing was we didn't have anything like that for mental health. So why should York Regional Police get Project Safeguard and other services don't get it and their officers are struggling? So I had a real issue with that. Yeah. So I was quoted in this ombudsman report about that, which was kind of cool. It's uh, the 2012 in the line of duty ombudsman report. And then they called me within 48 hours of releasing that. I'm like, okay, just so you know, this is going to be released in 48 hours. It's all top secret. Uh, And I was working in uniform at the time. I'd come back from mat leave and I actually sent the copy to our new chief. And this is where everyone's like, I can't believe it because yeah. No policing is very rank structure. You have to follow chain of command. And I'm just like, yeah. you know what? You don't shoot, you don't score. And exactly. So, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> beg for forgiveness later, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it was um, it's funny, I tell the story. It's like eleven thirty at night and I sent him this and I'm like, you're probably already aware this is coming down the pipe, but here's like the sneak preview of the report. That's great. <laughs> And he wrote me back within like 20 minutes. So again, I'm thinking I'm important. Like it's 1130 at night, the chief's responding. And uh, he's just like, no, I didn't know this was coming out. Thank you. And then he just put like, what are, what are we going to do about it? Yeah. Only to find out he's actually in Vancouver. So it's really like 830 uh, his time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he just said, you know, when I return, let's get together. And so I was just like, oh, okay, whatever. Like I'm a constable and you're the chief. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. Like this is going to get given to somebody yeah. to implement. Right. So no, t- he was true to his word. Two weeks brought me in. I met with him first for an hour and then we had a big uh, meeting with all the key players after. And he just said to me, what's your vision? I said, my vision is that we create a unit at YRP dedicated to the mental health of our members. And being the safeguard, I grew up with a father who was a police officer. So I know intimately um, the mental health issues and the stigma and everything. My husband is a police officer and his two brothers. So not only do I research and write about it, and I am a police officer, but I've also come from a policing family. So he's just like, okay, you live it. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, long story short, we sat in that meeting for two hours, key players, training or association, and everyone had their kind of feedback on what they saw. And then he just said to me, so this ombudsman report had 36 recommendations. He just stood up at the end of the meeting and he's like, I'm assigning Beth to this uh, report. <laughs> Amazing. And, yeah, I want you to investigate what we're doing um, and what we need to be doing uh, to move forward. And uh, that was it. And that's how it started. I love that. I love, like, there's a really incredible lesson in there is the whole idea that if you're innovative and you reach out and you really, you know, have that faith in yourself that you see an opportunity and you let go of any kind of fear that, you know, there's a certain protocol or levels. No, in the reality, if you have a really good idea, having that confidence to be able to go to the chief and, and giving him credit also for seeing that in, in you and empowering you to, to move it forward. That must've been like, would that be of one of your most critical career moves or? Absolutely. And just to add to that, um, before doing that, I actually applied to three different positions in the organization and uh, was unsuccessful. So I'm like, okay, which is, you know, disheartening. Like, you know, it, it kind of puts yeah. you back like, oh, is, is there, where is my future? We've all felt that, right? 
Exactly. And then, you know, going to that person and saying, you know, can I have a feedback session of where I need to improve and not really getting feedback. Um, so it's kind of like I always tell people, I had lemons. Yes. <laughs> so what I did is I just said to them, well, I couldn't get into these, to these units or to these jobs. So I just created my own. And everything that's like amazing. That. But yeah, that's, and it has purpose behind it. So now, so now you're leading, are you currently in that role now, right? You're leading that or how? no. So actually, so what happened is we, um, so it was me and another civilian that did the report. So we did an investigation. We interviewed a lot of people. We answered, we did the report. So the report actually went to our police services board. Mm-hmm. Um, it only took us about four months to finish it, but we kept getting bumped. Uh, and then the police services board takes the summer off. So it didn't actually go to the police service board until October of 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, but once it did get there, so in the meantime, what we did instead of sitting around going, okay, um, we got to wait to see if we're going to become a unit. We decided to go out in the organization and talk about mental health. And I mean, very candid conversations. Like I called up training and I said, you know, what courses are coming up? Coach officer, leadership. I'm like, can you give us like 30 minutes, 60 minutes? Um, Cause that was one of the big things was just talking about it. Mm-hmm. And we talked about, what the my colleague was Jen Jen and I talked about what we were doing um we went through the recommendations so in the beginning we had a lot of disgruntled people like where was this 10 years ago now that I'm divorced and we had a lot of those but our thing was like you know what we understand and recognize that the service um you know maybe didn't do the best for members but let's go forward and we're doing it now so we want your feedback and this is where people stood up and said, yeah, I was that person um, that had anxiety. And it, to me, just that, and we actually had a member that was uh, contemplating suicide and actually called us. And, and we got him connected with the right resources and he's back front line. Like nobody knows. And I, I have conversations. I see him once in a while, and the first time I saw him was probably like a year after, and I said, what made you call us? And he goes, I remember you guys coming to our unit and talking to us about mental health and how important it is. So just hearing stories like that. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. So, yeah, we're, we're really proud with the work. So October, we became kind of, we got the blessing to become a unit. And the chief even said, Beth, like, I don't have a budget for this, but I will find a budget. Because I am so about my people. And it's funny, I tell people, any kind of leadership course you take, it's you take care of your people, they'll take care of everything else. Yeah. Where policing, we're all like, oh, it's about the community, which I don't disagree. Look after our people, and they'll look after the community. At the end of the day, if you're not healthy and you're not well, you know, you're critical to the community. You can't serve them properly. Absolutely. 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 And that a big piece of that was missing. Mm -hmm. So we became a unit and then just one of the major goals of my unit wasn't, we're just sitting in an office waiting for people to call us to provide peer support. I put a whole strategy together that, you know, we brought in uh, mandatory mental health training um, we created a peer support team with people with lived experience who were credible. Uh, we created a procedure like we had, we got a police facility dog. Yeah. And, and check on members. Like 
it was the sky was the limit. And the other thing I did too, is I just didn't bring in the training. I became a road to mental readiness trainer. I became a mental health first aid trainer. Mm -hmm. Um, so myself and my colleague would actually, instead of hiring people, we would do the training because we are York Regional Police. So we did, we just did a big campaign of um, stuff here towards mental health. And that's uh, incredible. Yeah. And so where do you see it going now? Uh, you know, what sounds like you've made so many amazing uh, progress, but are you also talking to other uh, cities about this program or are you helping other areas? Yeah. So one of the things, uh, because we were so successful, I think just, I always tell people too, it was a lot of hard work and a lot of luck. Um, we got called a lot to go speak to uh, other police services about our program. We actually became leaders in it. And then I think in year two, we actually went around and taught people like lessons learned in the first year, because really there, we had no manual, we had no guide of, we just kind of Put figured, it out. Effort, figured it out and yeah. that's like oh okay we're going to create a peer support unit what are things you recommend and don't recommend so we'd actually go around and teach that and then my colleague and I were called to help other police services start up their peer support and that ombudsman report that I talk about was primarily for the OPP so I connected with the inspector that was part of their mental health unit or organizational wellness and her and I created a provincial working group. So what is, we, were, we met four times a year. Uh, any service in the province could attend. And then we would talk about best practices. And my big thing was, let's pay it forward. Because again, why should York have all these great things and these smaller services not? So there was a lot of information sharing, training. Um, it, it was just a great group of people. So... And for your career as well, what it does is it sets you up as a leader because you are and, and a thought leader and it also further exposes you to all sorts of other people, right? Absolutely. So what, what advice do you have for women that want to either get into the profession or that are in the profession and like you maybe are finding themselves at a certain point in their career, like they're not sure how to grow? What, what advice do you have for them? Well, and this is where I kind of struggle too with uh, the whole mentorship. So I never had any mentorship when I was, um, obviously the chief was very supportive and on board for what I was doing, but no one actually took me aside and said, okay, what do you want to do in your career? And let's try to get you to go there. And policing, there's a lot of turnover. Um, so even if you know you have that supervisor, uh, they could be gone in nine months. So for me, I think police services need that mentorship, especially for women. Mm -hmm. I find that um, women, I think, I don't know, they, maybe they don't know where to turn or so I really think, and we do have women's groups, but I think we need more of kind of the peer support uh, with women and how to advance their career and and yeah, deal with maybe other challenges that they have, like, like you said, going on maternity leave and then coming back and, you know, just having that support network. Absolutely. I just, I would just tell people, stay true to what you want to do. And again, I always tell people to education for me, 
education is power, uh, knowledge, the more knowledge you have. And when I have people come to me and ask me about continuing education, I always, the first thing I say is, why do you want to continue your education? You know, really think about it because it's a lot of time away from your family. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of work. Um, it's very frustrating at times. Yes. So what do you right? Of doing it. And, yeah. um, you know, when I hear people, oh, I want to do it to get promoted to me. Okay. I, I understand that, but there's great leaders that have grade 12 education, right? Yeah. You need to have like a, a real approach or mission towards it. Like, exactly. like you said, you had that, you already had something that you wanted to further advance, right? Exactly. You need to, because the nights where, or, you know, on a summer weekend when everybody's out by the pool and you're inside working on a paper, you need to have that drive. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that's why I always tell people like, what's your end goal? And for me, obviously there was a gap in the literature with peer support because everyone's like, okay, we need peer support. And I know firsthand how peer supports worked at York, but no one's ever actually studied its effectiveness and its utilization and how really is it helping people? You know, in the States, they've had peer support, you know, since the nineties, the eighties, but no one's actually looked at the effectiveness. So I thought, Hmm, there's something there, but also too, I teach, and for me, a PhD opens more doors, right? Like yeah. maybe, I don't know if I'm going to do a 30-year career in policing. Right. Um, and, and it's also open doors for me now. I do more research. I've been asked to collaborate on a couple different books. Um, and that's what I love. So, yeah. I love what you, so I've, I actually uh, downloaded your dissertation. And, and I love, I love what you, you uh, say that your mother actually, the advice your mother gave in your acknowledgements, and it, you say, who always tells me if a door closes, a window opens. Yes. <laughs> I think that's so beautiful. And so what did that mean to you? And this is what, it's funny, because I peer support a lot of people. And uh, I always say at the end of the day, things happen for a reason. And I, I know people at the time, it's like a hard pill to swallow or... Um, they don't understand, but I said, give it time and what's happening is for a reason. And, you know, maybe me not getting into these units I applied for wouldn't have given me the drive and passion to go to the chief and say, we need this unit. Yeah. Or you would have been too busy focused on that unit to, I am like right there with you in terms of, I think everything happens for a reason. And sometimes yeah. even the bad things, because it's actually yeah. pushing you in a direction that maybe isn't great for you. There's more, a bigger opportunity. So Absolutely. how do you like in that, you know, a big thing too, is how do you stay motivated and inspired even on some of the tough days? So a big thing for me is I was actually, I wrote a chapter. I, I should actually, I can send it to you. Um, in this, in our police wellness book about gratitude. And even during this little COVID, so I'm not in peer support anymore. I do peer support. I'm on the team, but I'm actually a frontline supervisor. And what I kind of instill in my members is I let them, we, at the beginning of the shift, we all sit together before we assign everybody's areas and stuff. Um, I let people vent. And then I said, okay, what are we grateful for? And when I go around the room and hear people go, well, I've had more time with my family. I've been saving money. Um, I've had extra time off, um, to me, it's the gratitude. And I really think that 
everyone's going to go through kind of crappy times in their life. Uh, and it's, it's how we take that. Do we take it as a learning experience? Um, or do we take it at this is going to knock me down and just having that gratitude and having people go, I know it's awful because we are dealing with people on the front line with COVID, but then people go, yeah, I just realized like we're still getting paid. There's people that can't pay their rent um, and are losing things, but we're still getting paid. So I really encourage them to look at kind of like the positives. And I think that's true in my life as well. I love that. I always, so I bug my family all the time because if something bad happens, I always say, well, at least, (laughs) So, right. So, you know, you could have even gotten to a fender bender and it's like, at least it wasn't a bad accident. So looking at, you know, we live in Canada, we have beautiful family, you know, looking at all the beautiful things that we take for granted sometimes um, is really important. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that piece is really missing, especially in policing, like people, you know, they get disgruntled and their morale is awful, but they don't really go back to why they joined the job. And for a majority of the people, like, um, it's to help people. Mm-hmm. And people get so wrapped up. And one of the things in my paper is it's the organizational stressors that are stressing people out more than the actual trauma. Right. Um, so, you know, it just kind of be grateful for, you know, what you have and kind of go with that mantra and, I think my shift, the other thing too, is resiliency. Being back on the front line, I've found that, first of all, it's amazing to work with a group of people that are so motivated Mm -hmm. um, and and so resilient, like so resilient. Like I just, it's, it's unbelievable how resilient. uh, I think that comes from like, is it innate? Do you believe that resiliency is something that it's almost like leadership? You're either born with it or you can develop it? What's your perspective on resiliency? I think it's a little bit of both. I definitely think people can uh, learn resiliency. Um, It's funny because my dad, he's the last 15 years of his career, he did, um, he was considered an accident reconstructionist. with the OPP. So for the last 15 years of his career, he would go to fatal motor vehicle accidents. It's interesting because I would say to him, we would have these conversations is like, did, did anyone ever, your supervisor, coworkers ever say to you, like, are you okay? Or, you know, do you need to talk to someone or whatever? And he's like, no, not one, which is, is very sad. Mm -hmm. But he always says like, I don't understand how these people leave and have PTSD and look at the stuff I've seen and done. And, and mm-hmm. you know, we get these talks about resilient and it's just, yeah, like I think some people, how do you compartmentalize it, right? Like some people are able to say, okay, that's the job. I've taken off my uniform. I'm going home and now I'm a father and a husband and work stays at home where other people bring it home with them. So I know early on we brought in mental health training. That was the one thing you did. Police officer is a job and it's what you do. It's not who you are. Right. That's for yeah, that's a right. really good statement. Absolutely. Yeah. And so how do you balance uh, work and life? Do you- <laughs> <laughs> well, it, no, I laugh because um, I teach. I've been teaching yeah. for the last 11 years. And like a high percentage of my students are police officers or military police. And, you know, right. I get emails 
oh, I haven't had time to do this assignment because I've had this. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like I have worked full time, commuted, done my yeah. PhD, done my master's, taught part time, did this or whatever. So I just left. Yeah. Um, it's just priorities for me. Yeah. And um, it just comes down to priorities and uh, time management, but also to, to ensure self-care. You know, my family is number one. So you know, make, making sure, and that's, I think more what I struggle with is, is finding that time for my family. So now I've done my PhD, which yeah. is amazing. Um, and then I've had extra time off because of COVID. And for me too, like I tell people this COVID for us has been amazing. Like there's no, like we've actually had family dinners. We're not running around getting the kids to activities because there is none. Um, yeah, it's, there's actually some really great, I mean, I know my husband, he used to travel nonstop and, yeah. like, he, you know, and certainly even when he wasn't traveling, he was back for dinner at seven o'clock and mm-hmm. we had already eaten. And so it, it is definitely, again, looking at the positive sides of it. Yeah. So, you know, just to wrap up, is there any other advice based on your experience that you would love to give to, you know, young women that are, you know, maybe just getting into their career or kind of at the middle management level and want to, to get to that next level? I guess the biggest thing I would say is just for people not to give up and also to find what your passion is. And I think when people ask me too about peer support and at YRP and why we were so successful is because myself and my colleague were so passionate about it. Mm. Uh, really. And it's me because yeah, I'm getting paid. Like it was almost ridiculous. Like I'm getting paid for something I love to do. Yeah. That's a dream job, right? Exactly. And I always tell people um, it's passion that drives people and, you know, find out what you want to do. And maybe it isn't promotion. Maybe it's a job where you really love and you don't want to move on. And if that's where yeah, it's okay. you know what I mean, right? Because people feel like I have to move on or I have to go to this to do this. And, and like, no, I always say, you know, look at what's best for you, what's best for your family and what gives you. And I have to say hundred percent that the peer support and the mental health has given me the most job satisfaction. So Maybe promotion isn't, you know, in the cards or maybe it's job satisfaction over being promoted. And the other big thing, too, is when I know females specifically that want to be promoted, I just said, just be mindful of what you're getting getting into, because once you're promoted, it's not about you anymore. It's mm-hmm. about you leading others, which I think is one of the things um, I struggled with when I was first promoted because now you're taking on a group of people with different attitudes, different work ethics, and how you manage that and the whole emotional intelligence. Yes. Being able to understand that. So we get, you know, and we used to promote people because they were good police officers, which is amazing, but missing that whole people uh, yeah. side of it, it. And that's a critical part of it. You can be really good at your job, but... Absolutely. The lead a team is completely different. Yeah. So all I say is, you know, that just brings on another level. And if you're not there yet, or you're not ready to bring that on, then maybe wait a bit more because that's the other thing too, is policing is so driven by promotion. And I always tell people your self-worth isn't if you get promoted or not. And there's a lot of great leaders in our organization that aren't promoted. Right. Uh And that they maybe enjoy and love what they do. And that's okay. Right. 
I think that's a really good point to bring up is that that pressure to, you know, especially on women, I feel like to, to get married, to have a baby, to get into a career, then to, to strive to be the CEO. Well, you know what, that's, maybe that's not where you're the happiest, right? And if you are, go for it. But if you need to just find what your passion is. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the the take home. And for me, the teaching, like I said, to find out why you want to do continuing education. And that's the other thing too. I tell people, if you're really not happy where you are, consider leaving and going somewhere that's going to make you happy. And that's why I say with the education, it just gives you yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much. This has been so educational and I think it, you're going to be inspiring so many people and I think you're making a huge difference in the lives of so many people. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to meet you and, and uh, be on the show. And I just, uh, I thank you for what you're doing. It's great to hear this from, uh, from women and that, you know, you obviously have a bunch of different women with different expertise and training, and this, this is where we're going to learn. And uh, I thank you for doing this. Thank you for listening to WLN's Breaking Barriers podcast. We truly appreciate each and every one of you. If you enjoyed today's episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with a friend, write a review, or donate and become a member of our community. To find out about the amazing perks available to our members, visit patreon.com forward slash WLN Breaking Barriers. We want to help you continue to learn and grow. So visit womenleadershipnation.com, sign up for our mailing list to keep in touch with us and receive invaluable resources and new podcast episodes delivered to your inbox. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, keep breaking barriers.